Hello and welcome to History by the Pint, a new podcast that covers all things history and archaeology in the time it takes to drink a pint. My name is Alex Rosen, I'm a TV producer and author, and with me is Glyn Davis, a curator at Colchester Castle Museum, and Chris Shevitsky, a lecturer and researcher in Rome. Now, we originally studied together at the British School in Rome, way back in 2007, and since then we've been regularly meeting up for a pint and to chat about what we've been working on and the latest news in the world of history and archaeology. That habit has now evolved into this podcast series. On this episode, Chris is giving us the very latest archaeological headlines from Rome. So anyway, this this time round, we're going to be chatting to Chris about his notes from Rome, this fantastic article that he produces every year, which essentially recaps uh, everything that's happened in Rome, all the archaeological discoveries, exhibitions, research projects. It's a really incredible uh, resource because a lot of this news never really makes it over to the UK. So Glyn and I have had a look through it and we're going to ask Chris about a couple of things that have caught our eyes. Um, But first, Chris, what would have been your highlights of the year? There's been quite a lot happening. As you say, a lot of these don't necessarily um, make uh, the international press. They get picked up in the Italian press. So anything from they've been doing roadworks and they come across, um, there's been a few ancient tombs have been found while they've been digging water pipes. Uh, There's been two excavations carried out of the Colosseum, one of which got quite widely reported. The other one, which in some ways was more interesting, received very little attention. Lago Argentina has finally opened after 100 years to the public. This is the space that there's these four Roman Republican era temples uh, inside. It's most most popularly known as a cat sanctuary at the moment, but it's also approximately... Pleasant smell, yeah, Chris. Really pleasant <laughs> it, it, it smell. It smells <laughs> when you go down there. Um, but they've moved the cats to kind of one corner of it. Uh, it's mostly known because it's it's approximately, at least the back of it, is the site of the assassination of Julius Caesar. So that's open to the public after 100 years. Um, that's, you know, it's fantastic now that you can you can visit it. Uh, what didn't make this edition of Notes from Rome, because it was discovered just afterwards, but is this theatre of Nero near the Vatican. It seems that they've found a new theatre by brick stamps has been dated to the reign of the Emperor Nero. Whether it's the one that he supposedly sings in or not is up for debate, but this is a new Interesting discovery, but it didn't make the cut this year just because of the dating. Uh, that's fair. It, it did make the press over here, actually. There was quite a, quite a lot on that. Um, but yeah, it seems like there's a lot more research to be done, right? Are they going to be doing further excavations there or what's the plan? Yeah, so um, I'm assuming for, for people in the know, obviously, probably knew about it. And if you'd gone on Google Earth, you could have seen it. But I think for most of us, you'd walk towards the Vatican area, you'd no idea there's an excavation going on because it was being carried out in the courtyard of a Renaissance palace cut off from the street. And it actually been going on for two years. And they finally just announced the results. And then the, um, the excavators presented the research the other week at a talk. And uh, so it seems to be part of these private gardens that are over on the Vatican side of the river connected to the Emperor Caligula built a stadium there, um, also some kind of horse racing track that we haven't got the location for. And then there seems to be this quite small theatre or perhaps an Odeon, um, some kind of a covered theatre as well. Built in the reign of the Emperor Nero, it then seems to have adjustments in the, the Flavian period. 
and goes out of use in perhaps the third century AD. So it's in use for about two centuries. They found some really beautiful marble columns along with it that come from the stage building at the back. And yeah, it's, it's quite a surprise and it grabs attention because it's because it's Nero. Yeah, an exciting discovery. It's really exciting. Yeah. It's really exciting because, you know, so the related monument in that area is the is the circus of um, Caligula, which then famously is where Nero allegedly crucifies and burns the Christians after the great fire of Rome in AD 64. And that's the the the, the, the circus which is underneath today's St. Peter's Basilica. Oh, wow. OK. So, so yeah, the, the Theatre of Nero is a pretty exciting discovery. The other big news that's happening is, is the, they're building Metro um, C uh, station at Piazza Venezia, which is, uh, is going to take 10 years, cost 700 million euros for a single station, disrupt traffic um, you know, for a decade. In effect, uh, they, they excavated the site over about a decade ago and they found some really interesting structures, the beginning of the Via Flaminia, so just outside of the Republican walls of Rome. There's Hadrianic Tiburni, so shops and, and likely housing above it. So-called Athenaeum of Hadrian, Hadrian as well, which is a series of lecture halls. Um, and that's all going to be incorporated into the metro station. So it's going to be um, kind of a metro station slash museum. But in order to do this, they're going to have to lift the archaeology construct the metro station and then put it back in so this is why it's hugely expensive and uh uh, is going to take 10 years and you kind of feel maybe a a tram (laughs) would be a a better i don't know like like, um and this is only one station as well they've got so far and then they're doing um this one but you know the the great thing is that uh it means they'll find some more things that that we can go look at. Yeah, I mean, that's it's going to be quite a, an interesting new archaeological site to see once it's finished. I mean, it does sound very interesting. I was going to say, it's amazing, you know, when you talk of these sites, Chris, it's, it's like, it's the circus of this emperor. It's the lecture halls of this emperor. It's the, and I suppose, sort of the difference in Rome, that you, you find these monuments or you find these remains of buildings and sites and they have such an intimate link with history it's, i think it's quite different to say british archaeology where you know you're 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 feeding that into the the big scope of, of everything but in rome it's i don't know to me it's it's quite magical it's quite special and it's so so relevant i suppose to that history a lot of us know about exactly and there's there's um there's good things to that and then there's pitfalls and dangers to that so this so-called Athenaeum of Hadrian what they they discovered when they excavated the area was a series of three lecture halls quite possibly for rhetorical performances for philosophical debate to take place they seem to date to the late Trajanic the Hadrianic period and so they get linked to we know from a textual source as a reference to Hadrian building an Athenaeum even though actually it's suggested it's a different part of the city. and But there's always this temptation you know, to match up what you find in the archaeological record with what you know that perhaps an emperor did. And obviously that has its, its pitfalls, but that's something that goes back 300 years into antiquarian sources, which is why the round temple in the Forum Boarium is, used to be called the Temple of Vesta, because they, they knew the Temple of Vesta was round. They got a round temple and so well, we're going to call it the Temple of Vesta. Oh, is that, is that um, the, yeah, that amazing one next to the Tiber? Exactly. Generally thought to be Temple to Hercules. But which Hercules is still debated. There's kind of three potential Hercules 
that it's been associated with and and so your your safe bet is you just call it the round temple <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, which, uh, but maybe that's less fun uh well okay so um and any uh, interesting museums uh, exhibitions that you've been to see this year that caught your eye there's been lots of exhibitions. One of the best ones, which actually didn't, again, it, I, I went to visit it after I finished Notes from Rome this year, was about light in Rome and Pompeii. A fantastic exhibition originally had been in Germany and then was brought over and was put on at the Capitoline Museums in Rome. Uh, consisted about 150 bronze bronze lamps and appendages for lamps. And it was all about how interior spaces in roman housing were was lit potentially and the different effects that different shaped lamps can have Uh, and it was a really thorough detailed exhibition and actually added i think quite a lot to our understanding of these spaces that came out of research project and so that was that was particularly impressive they've been a real drive in exhibitions in rome recently to get things out of the storerooms and that's been happening at, at pretty much all of the museums in rome both the state-owned ones and the, the city ones that's pretty cool mm. so chris as, as a as a museum curator this is what i wanted to ask you actually and uh, it's, it's a bigger it's a bigger question around this which is how much of this stuff in museums or in stores at museums or rome owns you know, is catalogued in some way, do you think? I mean, I know it's a tricky question. And the other one is, how do people put on these exhibitions and how do they get to publish it or curate it, which is bring these objects together under a, a theme normally? Because, you know, we, we talk about museums having all this this stuff hidden away, but actually a lot of it, say in Britain, is, is accessible. You can get in touch with museums. Lots of museums now have other things. You know, sometimes it's published in a very old book, but you'll find catalogues, and there's obviously all these online collections. But I feel like that's really different for Rome and the quantity of material and how it operates out there. Yeah, it's, it's partly just the sheer quantity of material. So I think if you're researching a certain subject and you know this material exists, you can get access to it. A lot of it is is completely unpublished, which is another good thing about the recent exhibitions is that when they've been accompanied by catalogues, and sometimes the catalogues have been a little bit late. But for example, there's in an exhibition at the Capitoline Museum on the Roman Republic, this fantastic terracotta statue group from the pediment of a temple somewhere on the Via Latina. The probably it's suggested about four miles out on the Via Latina, so one of the main roads going out of Rome. They don't have the precise fine location because it was found in the late 19th century. People have known about it, but it's never actually been published. And so as part of the exhibition, they not only reconstructed the statues of Jupiter, Juno and Minerva, but they put on display the fragments of Hercules as well. And there's about 290 odd, I think it's 293 fragments but a lot of them aren't published. So the exhibitions are a way, I think, of getting that material out there. And while they're doing this, they're conserving it. Other exhibitions could be very, very small. There was a, a couple at the Baths of Diocletian in Rome, which is also one of the national archaeological museums. And they had a very, a very small couple of focused exhibitions, which were dealing with, one was dealing with water in Rome, and it was only two rooms, but it brought some material out of storage. It was only on for a few months a few pieces, and then put it back. But while they're getting that material out of storage, they're also conserving it as well. So it's quite a varied range of exhibitions and how different curators are approaching it. 
Do you think they're literally just going into the storeroom and saying, right, lads, what have, what have we got here? <laughs> you know, just pulling out these amazing <laughs> statues and going, right, let's get that in an exhibition. Or do they go in there, do they looking for certain thematic stuff? I must admit, I don't know. Um, I think for, so there's been an exhibition on at Montemartini, which is a, an old power station that's been repurposed as a museum. Uh, there's been an exhibition on a mosaics. Uh, it's, it's been extended, goodness knows how many times. It's about two years old now, but it's still on, which is great. And that's all from the storerooms. And obviously that's got, and they keep adding bits to it. And that theme is obviously mosaics. So they're looking at pieces from the storerooms. Other times, I, I, I don't know, Glenn. I mean, this is more a yeah, question for you as a curator. Yeah. When you go to the storeroom, it, I mean, it feels to me it's more than just we've got a load of stuff and we want to get it out there. But I, don't I mean, know, it must Glenn, be like your... a dream, right? If you're interested in archaeology and you get access to these archives in Rome, I mean, I don't know where they're storing the stuff, whether they're in basements on museum property or whatever, but it must be one of the most incredible things to do, to go into one of these storerooms and just see what they've got because it must just be all the stuff that hasn't been published that no one knows about i mean there must be more discoveries to be made in the storerooms potentially than actually through new digs right yeah i, I always talk about re-excavating the archive or if you like re-excavating the museum you know looking through your stores and you you either find new stuff or you you find stuff that's not always undocumented it's misdocumented or has a really simple name attached to it and depending on who you are you come across it and go wow <laughs> that's not what it is it's it's one of these <laughs> it's quite interesting I, I i think that level of material they have and especially when it's unpublished not not knowing what's in sort of your collection <clears throat> or having a very basic infantry is difficult because um you sort of can't i imagine go around and go yeah let's just get all this stuff out because you need to understand what that material is so i do wonder they probably start with some inkling of an idea and uh yeah start i mean it must take i assume it takes years of preparation actually and research because actually as you say chris it's fantastic when they do these big catalogues but writing those things and researching those things and knowing enough about the objects you're putting on display you know having only done a, a little bit of this really in my time if maybe a couple of hundred objects I don't know, it's, I think it must take a lot of time. So in some ways, the world's your oyster, but it must be a tough battle to, to get this stuff together and make sense yeah, of it. Yeah, I think they have a difficult job with trying to make sense of it. And, and as a curator, I'm sure you want to be creative. But the temptation is always, well, this material relates specifically to the city of Rome. The good thing about Rome is um, Rome was a world empire and therefore the material that is present in the city potentially comes from all over the Mediterranean and further afield. So you can explore bigger themes in history. You don't just have to stick with city history. But the temptation would always be presumably that you stick with that. And then uh, there was an exhibition uh, which had incredible material in it, The Instant and the Eternity, which again was at the Baths of Diocletian, like fantastic pieces, quite a lot from the storerooms. It was in areas of the baths that haven't been open to the public in a long time. They also had a lot of loans from Greece, including this fantastic core, so 7th century BC female statuette about seven feet high, which had been discovered in the year 2000 and then it seemingly lost somewhere in, in their deposit, which then re-emerged and was on display for only the, the second time. They were able to put on display a recent, there's a statue of Hercules got found right at the beginning of the year near the Via Appia. They were digging a water pipe found a statue of Hercules, that was on display, a lot of material from the storeroom. But then they had, uh, trying to link it together in bigger themes was more difficult 
in some ways. And it, I don't know, for me, it felt like one of those exhibitions where they should have just said, here's some fantastic stuff, go and enjoy it. Um, as opposed to trying to, you know, there was a lot of conceptual, uh, there was quite a conceptual approach to it, which I'm not sure uh, always worked. But I think it's a difficult job the curators have got, with, with almost with an abundance of material. I mean, it is amazing to talk about these, the the amount of wealth of, of artifacts in these storerooms. Actually, that that was sort of linked to the thing that I wanted to ask you about, Chris, was in the notes of Rome, you mentioned this tabula kiji, which seems to be a sort of small relief of, of Alexander the Great uh, uh, depicting one of his battles, his battle at Galgamela or Arbella. Um, and that came from a private collection where it had been, you know, lost or vanished um, for a number of years. And suddenly it's been bought by the state and now it's on display. I mean, what's the story behind that? Yes, this was this was in the exhibition at the bars of Diocletian, the Instant and the Eternity, which had all these fantastic pieces and then... Uh, the way in which they're linked together was maybe more questionable, but some of the stuff that they had uh, was either on display for the first time or you know hadn't really been seen before. It's very small, perhaps the size of a, a saucer. It's made of alabaster and it's been carved with this battle scene of Alexander, and then it's surrounded by a, a bronze frame as well. It's got a little inscription referring to Alexander the Great. Uh, scholars tend to call them uh, or class it as one of these uh, tabula iliaca which uh, there's there's 20 odd of these small reliefs depicting little individuals carved sometimes in this was in alabaster other ones i think are done in bone and ivory it'd been discovered in the 18th century in the uh, the 1770s in central italy and entered the one of the noble families of rome the chigi family as with a lot of discoveries in that period they either go to the the papacy, one of the noble families, or they get exported on the art market. Uh, so it enters private collection where it remains for a long time. In the early 20th century, in the 1920s, it seems to go to America uh, as part of one of the, I don't know the details, so again, don't quote me on it, but it's something to do with what the marriage of um, one of the members of the Kiji family. It goes to America in the 1920s. And then it, it's it's not that it's lost, but it just disappears from view and record until the 1980s when it reemerges. And then last year, the Italian state actually acquired it and bought it. And it's a yeah, you know, it's a really beautiful object. It's not quite clear what it's for. It's some kind of you know, it, it's a decorative object. It's a personal object, presumably, because it's it's as I say, it's, it's about the size of a saucer, but the level of detail, the level of carving on it, which shows the battle scene of Alexander the Great, is superb, and it, it ties into. I mean, again, the dating is it, no one. It, it's it's a little bit uncertain on the dating. Um, perhaps first century BC to first century AD, but it ties in. Which I know, Alex, you obviously enjoy Alexander, and it ties into this complete interest and obsession in ancient Rome with Alexander the Great. Yeah, no, it, I, I did, um, I think in one of your footnotes, you mentioned this, this article that a guy had written about 10 years ago about the, about these little uh, carvings. Uh, and I sort of had a quick, quick look at it. And it was quite interesting because I think he was saying that originally they thought that they um, were like comics almost, you know, that they were very, very amazing miniature bits of art, but you know, it was fairly um, 
rudimentary some of the detail or, or, or the story that it was telling and it was for the nouveau riche to to pass around at a dinner party you know aren't i so cultured look at this amazing battle scene about Zion the great or the iliad or something and then this guy's actually gone actually no because some of the uh, the poetry and the epigrams and inscriptions and some of the uses of the images are really, really interesting. And there's more to it than that. And actually, he, I think he was saying that they might actually be a, a high status form of intellectual or an erudite form of some sort of game that you literally present these these reliefs and pass them around at dinner. And you would have to sort of riff on them or tell us stories or you'd only, you know, be known as a culture man if you could realise what what was going on within this really interesting and intricate piece of artwork. And I thought, oh my God, that's, that's uh, something else. If he's, if he's right, he might be wrong. It might just be a comic, you know, I have no idea, but I thought, correctly, that's a quite a different interpretation than, uh, than everyone's done before. Um, yeah. Well, fascinating object. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that private level of knowledge, that level of erudition, I mean, that's something that, you know, the Romans seem to enjoy. And I mean, it, from what you suggest, I mean, it sounds completely plausible because in partly we know uh, famously in Petronius's Satyricon where you have Trimalchio, who's kind of, who is the nouveau riche and he's boorish and he gets everything wrong. And the idea, you know, the fact that he gets everything wrong, but it's playing on that idea that other people at dinner presumably do show off their, their knowledge, their erudition and, um, and getting everything right. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, yeah, really, really fascinating. Fine. It does make me think what else is sort of lurking in these private collections across the land. I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in that anyway. Cause masses, I, yeah. <laughs> masses of stuff. I think, I think we'll leave it there for the time being, guys. So thanks so much, Chris, guys. And uh, we'll finish our drinks and be on our way. Cheers, boys. Cheers, cheers. cheers.